Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. I talked to Christiane Amanpour, CNN's chief international correspondent. We talked about journalism in 2018, the Me Too movement, and her new series, Sex and Love Around the World. Let's take a listen. Well, thank you. I just have to remind everyone to go to slido.com and enter hashtag uh, SXSW, South by Southwest, uh, room ballroom D, for questions, because there's so many people here. We don't have mics. And so any question you'd like, we're, we're ready any to question. answer. Any question. Um, we were just backstage, and I was just thinking, this is about sex, which is good, because we're in a particularly <laughs> naughty mood, possibly dirty. We will, we will go right up, to the, right up to inappropriate, but we will not cross that line. Really? Um, Okay, we can. Um, all right, so tell me about this show. I, I, sex and love across the world is not something I'd expect from you. No, I um, didn't expect it for myself either. And you can imagine my bosses didn't expect it either because, right. you know, I can synthesize North Korea and Russia right. and take all that stuff in and Iran and the Middle East and then, you know, put it out in a palatable way for the, for the viewers. But sex and love was much more of a somewhat voyeuristic journey, was much more of a learning curve for myself as well. Right. But well, you've had sex, right? Occasionally. Okay. At least once, I have a kid. Right, okay. <laughs> well. Who's by, it was nearly 18 years ago. He's okay. going to be 18. All right, yeah. okay. So yeah, I was learning a lot of new stuff. Okay, good, okay. Um, which was great for me, you can imagine. That. You never yeah. know. I'm just, no, I, you know I, I have to be honest, okay. I'm authentic, yeah. Right. Um, so, now you've completely thrown me off my That's game. my job. Oh, that's okay, Cara. Yeah, that's you my You and I, we go back a long way. All right, off. so, Seth, uh, so, where did you get this idea? I got the idea brushing my teeth around my sink, or at least at my sink, getting ready to go to work, listening to a radio program about three years ago at the height of the Syria war and at the height of the crisis of all these refugees coming across from the bloodshed in Syria right. and trying to find a place to live and to be dignified and civilized and continue their humanness continue trying so, to be people. So you were listening to a radio program yeah. about the crisis in Syria and you thought, fucking. What? They didn't exactly think of it like that. All right. But what I thought I, was, work for me. she really is going and crossing the line. I'm right. okay. trying to drag me across it as well. Exactly. Um, no, what I thought was, self, yeah. you have done all this extreme living, extreme reporting, extreme experiences in the most extreme parts of the world on the right. most extreme circumstances. And you've watched and reported individuals cope with sniping and shelling, right. genocide and disease and famine and natural disasters. And you've told that story. You've been inside the humanity of people who've managed to stay sane or try to right. and alive during those kind of situations. But as I was listening to this radio thing, I said to myself, you know, what about women and girls? What about how you live, how you maintain your dignity, how you maintain your intimate relations? How do you, you know, keep your partnership going? How does a mother keep her daughter safe and right. not off to some forced marriage? Do they talk about sex between mothers and girls in right. villages in Afghanistan or wherever it might be? So all these thoughts kept coming. And how do you do all that in a flimsy tent where everybody and their brother can listen to you and see sure. you and know what your business now, you is? You had written about yeah. this issue of women. and You have talked about it. You've reported on the Congo, for example. Yeah, but I, I haven't done it in this way. Right. I've done it 
rape as a weapon of war, for instance. Right. You know, I reported that in Bosnia. I right. followed it to the International Criminal Court. It became a, sure. a, a law. Um, but I haven't done it in this way, right. where it was much more of, you know, you're not going to see the victims. You're not going to see the horrors. You're not going to see the catastrophes in this series. Mm -hmm. And I did that deliberately, along with ZPZ, Anthony Bourdain, CNN, and all those, you know, who, who we talked about this. This was much more... A journey to see the flip side of what I've been doing all my right. life. What their real lives were like. Yeah, what their real lives were like. Using the lens of yeah, love and yeah, sex. But which is also extreme in, in many, many cases. Right. And what I found way before the Me Too movement exploded, because I was shooting this months before that started, mm -hmm. was that, yes, there are many parts of the world where it's very dangerous, very ugly to be a woman. Mm -hmm. But even in those parts of the world, younger women, women of... of the generation of many of you in this room, whether it's in India, whether it's in China or Japan or elsewhere, are taking their own rights. Mm -hmm. And you want to know, literally, you know, in a society that, that considers women less than human, or mm -hmm. second or third or fourth class citizens, where women are slaves, where women literally don't have mm -hmm. the right to say boo to a dog, how does a woman say to her husband, you know, that's sex, I want to be satisfied too. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about this. I want to have fun. I want to, you know, be fulfilled. I right. want to be emotionally, spiritually, physically satisfied as well. That is crucial for women all right. over the world in any right. socioeconomic demographic. Right. And it was fascinating to watch the women who I've reported on, as I said, in the other way to be talking about this. And the other thing that was fascinating was how open they were to talking. To talking about it. Men and women were really open to talking. I didn't find anybody who, who said who no. Clammed up so, said so no. the range of places you went, you went, you said from Berlin, I was reading your thing, which made me laugh out loud last night. Which one? Uh, the, the essay you did about it. Oh, right, yeah. You know, about hymenoplasty, which yeah, yeah. I, I really do need to mm -hmm. ask about. Yeah. Um, it, it, it went from Berlin, where you had a bondage. Yeah, you know, I did a lot of things. Naked ping pong, guys, that's something to watch out for. Uh, <laughs> I, you, you'll see I am an incredibly controlled human being. My eyes, straight. Right. And it was all naked. Not me. Why not? Maybe not me. Why not? Uh, well, because I didn't think I'd get it past the census. Plus, okay. I didn't want to shock too many people. All right, okay. You know? So naked ping pong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so range. Bondage in, in, um, in Berlin. Which Berlin seems to go known, together, it seems Well, to it does. Berlin is known as the sex capital it of is. Europe, right? It's yeah. the edgy capital. Yes. It was really, you know, during Hitler's time, they called it degenerate and all mm -hmm. the rest of it. And they really, really have been, they, they fought for that part of their, of their culture for a long time. But, you know, I found in 2017 that a lot of it is a little bit sort of, sort of yoga, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I, <laughs> So I yeah, went I'm to, with you. I live in the Castro know? of San Francisco. Yeah, so and a lot good. of it is not quite as edgy as I expected. So then right. I am very seriously, you know, trying not to be too voyeuristic. Right. Watching these couples do their thing and there's all right. this breathing and it's about this and it's about that. Right. And all of a sudden the guy comes up to me and he throws these ropes over me. Yeah. And one of the things I've learned in my life is when they're awkward situations, we can talk more about this in right. regard to me okay. too, when right. they're awkward situations, uh -huh. I tend to pretend it's not happening. So they throw ropes yeah. over you, and yeah, like, throw ropes around me. Here said, I am you know, thinking, I hey, do I don't look very good with the ropes the way they're thrown around me. They throw it me. on you, or did they vanity. bind you? 
and then bound it, but uh -huh. not as tight as the others. Ah, uh, okay, no. all right, okay. No. So, and then your reaction? My your... reaction, you'll see. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. Yeah. So it's we... a tease. Wow. <laughs> I should have brought You'll ropes. like it, Carl. Now I feel regretful that I didn't bring my ropes. <laughs> um, so, you, so you went there, but you also went to serious places where pe like people uh, in India with marriage, forced marriages. For okay, so in India, who knew? But there's also a flourishing kinky sector as well, where there is okay. BDSM. Obviously, it's not the majority of Indians, okay. but a small group in New Delhi do it. But why was it so interesting? First, for the visuals, because of the stories people told me as I was sure. on stage, what, you know, in any event, they were, they were very interesting stories. But most importantly, they wanted to be absolutely clear that this is all about consent. There's the mm -hmm. safe word, and, you know, woe betide you, if you go across that line. Cross line. But of course, that's massively important too, because a month after I did that shooting, yeah, well, not physical shooting, but the right. shooting, yeah. um, came, came the Harvey Weinstein stuff, which was right. all about non-consent. Oh, we're getting so, to that. So, yeah. So it was, you know, unbeknownst to me, without an agenda of that, of that type, right. it was unfolding before my eyes. And there are many, many interesting uh, things. I mean, you're, you know, the doyen of the tech world. Mm -hmm. Who knew? that in the Muslim world, where women, as I said, are barely able to join the workforce, you, yeah. in the last decade, another 55 million women have joined the workforce. That's 155 million women. And guess what they're powering it? A lot of these entrepreneurs in their head jobs, not the men with the hoodies and this mm -hmm. and that who we see here in the West, but women in their headscarves are pioneering a whole entrepreneurial tech mm -hmm. uh, employment for themselves. and based on, this is what I read in the, in, the, in the latest article I saw about it, something like a trillion dollars worth of disposable income that women in that part of the world have. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's unbelievable. Like in Saudi Arabia and Iran, 38% of women are doing tech stuff and 34%. Mm -hmm. That compares to just 30% here in the United right, States. Less so it's, or less, as yeah. you would know better than I yeah. do. But it is remarkable. So the series is also about how women, wherever I went, are grabbing their rights as well. At the same time, it's pretty depressing for women across the globe too. You, did, you, did you try to... I didn't do that, so I have done depressing all my career, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> I mean, you know what? It was actually nice to have a break from the depressing, from the crazy, from the right. frenetic, from the current political environment right. around the world uh, and in the United States. It was quite nice to have a break and see a real slice of life right. that we often don't focus on. This is not manufactured. This is not right. just a little elite group well, what, that I went to talk to. This is most, a real slice uh, of life. What was the most surprising? Um, I would say the most surprising was the generational difference, mm -hmm. because you expect, I mean, I didn't know this, but I went there finding out what maybe a lot of people know, that Japan, for instance, oh, yeah. is Japan. very, very sad when it comes to sexuality. Yeah. I mean, there's sexless marriages, there's you know, women who, once they've had their children, move out of the marital chamber, out of the bed, and go to, to be in the same bedroom as their kids. So their husband, who's the you know, office man, that, that classic title of, of mm -hmm. male workers, right. hey, man, turn off your phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so that was that I'm was weird. That was really really weird yeah. to, to to see that to talk to some of these women who, honestly, 
Honestly, there's a bar scene where I talk to about four or five women, and one of them almost has tears in her eyes. When Talking ask, about? Yeah, when I ask if she's happy, and no, she's not. And is right. she happily married? No, she hasn't had sex with her husband in 10 years. And, you know, just this thing. And then, you know, she's found herself somebody. Right. And she's happier, but can't really talk about it because that's not done. Right. And then to find that younger women are trying to bust out to of that. This. Yes, absolutely. And then also to find that there's a small group of people, men and women, who want to change this and have created, what was it, the Adoring Husband Society. Right. Where, where they, they yell, actually I yell, you. I love you. Right. And they actually make a big deal. It's performance art. Right. So, you know, We're, hopefully life will follow art. Right. And that's what they do. And it's, so they show it's up interesting. In various public places yeah, and yell, I yeah. love you? And then, yes, yeah. frankly. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right, okay. Yeah, and they're doing things that you and I would take for granted. They're, they're not staying at work until 11 p.m. Right. They're coming home at maybe 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. or 7 right. to have right. dinner with their wives and to actually talk, go play golf when they have some disposable non-work time, mm -hmm. you know, finding some hobbies. hobbies it yes. sounds ordinary, but in that society, it's completely extraordinary. So that was that was really fun and what interesting. What about uh, the US? Did you do? No, we, we made a conscious decision not yet to do the United States. I don't know whether we will, but we didn't do the US. Why is because, that? Well, because this was around the world. I'm a foreign correspondent. I just wanted to go. I do want to do the US and, yeah. and, the, and generally the West. Because, But what you see also is, is almost from the East all, way, all the way to the West, Right. Catching up, right. right? So the West is has been right. way ahead in their various sexual right. contexts. Uh -huh. China, Japan, all those countries, Africa uh -huh. are, are catching up. So, for instance, in the West, women have much more uh, economic freedom, economic independence, etc., and they have been trying to explore their own sexuality, their happiness, right. all of that for a long time. Right. In Shanghai, it's mm -hmm. only just starting right. to the point that many women, young women, millennial women, the concept of dating doesn't even exist mm -hmm. because for millennia in China, it's been arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you marry who your parents tell you to marry. Right. And family is it, and family rules the roost. And the idea of dating and trying to make your own decisions is very novel. At the same time, China has, or rather Shanghai has, the highest concentration in the world of female billionaires and millionaires right. and all exactly. that sort of, right? So they're massively so empowered. To do things. Yeah, so they have whole new economic sector called the dating sector, right. where people are treat, teaching young women, young men, how well, to actually was, court and date. Explain this hymenoplasty. So that was in Lebanon. Lebanon, okay. Because so. at the same time as women are... That, am I pronouncing that correctly? Hymenoplasty. Okay. Yeah. Should we explain no. what it is? No, you think it's obvious? You, it sounds like what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's not a facelift, if you know what I mean. Okay. All it's right. a something else lift. That, okay, yeah. explain that. Um, so here, why is this important? Right. It's important because at the same time, and this is why women all over the world are so, I mean, just hit by every bit of culture and mm -hmm. the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Virginity is a must mm -hmm. wherever you go. Mm -hmm. It's a must, particularly in the Muslim world. Yep. So that even though they are losing their virginity, dating, doing all this kind of stuff before marriage, they have to be virgins at, at the wedding night. Right. So there is a thriving business in hymenoplasty, in other words, sewing up so that you can appear to be a virgin on your wedding night. Right. And, um, and actually, you know, it was kind of 
almost really sad because some of these girls are not used to dating. They've actually never slept with somebody, some of them who are not there for hymenoplasty, but for just advice from this uh, uh, um, sex, uh, sex therapist. You know, they have been told, it's been drummed into them, whether it's in India or Beirut or whatever, that don't sleep, don't sleep, don't sleep, don't, don't, ah, you mustn't go out and sleep with your boyfriend, ah. And then on your wedding, sleep, mm, 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 you got to do it and have children, right? Got it. So they go from nothing to being expected to right. be, you know, machines in bed, right. right? Right, So at the same time, they've been told they have to value this thing that they have, which right. is their virginity. Right. So these women, many of them, are going mm -hmm. to, to, to their marriages needing this therapy before they go because they don't even want to lose their virginity to their husbands. Oh, wow. They have been told it is so valuable. Right. Oh, wow. You know, so there was a lot to talk about. What's your favorite story? Um, I, I have lots of favorite stories. You know, it's like children. I can't tell you that I have a favorite episode. Okay. I learned so much. As I right. said, you know, I've gone did out it, into the world and been experienced did, in all the did other Did it translate into your life? You know, well, it's translating. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, my, my view is life is a constant lesson. Yes. Learning all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What would you do if you went to the U.S.? I mean, obviously, Melania. We are in Go the ahead. U.S. What? I'm sorry. Oh, you mean to US, cover the U.S.? Oh, come ah. on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Um, I would do, well, some of the stuff that Esther Perel has been talking about. Right. You know, open, you know. Right. You all know who she is, right? She's the fantastic yeah. TED speaker, sex therapist, um, and psych psychologist who has great podcasts as well as great speeches. Um, you see in the West, you have couples who are bored. You have uh, all, the, all the stuff that happens after long, long marriages. Mm -hmm. And you have this whole new thing coming out, open marriages. Mm -hmm. is, that seems to be the oh. thing that's being talked about now. In oh, it's the West. all over Silicon Valley. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know more than I do, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley. Yeah, when they start talking about it, I'm like, la, 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 yeah, la, la, yeah, la, la. Yeah. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So everybody's trying it's to figure all yours, out how to, keep, how to keep. But you know what I really want to do more than necessarily the West or whatever? Yeah. I'd really like to explore this from the perspective of men and boys, because yep. obviously this was done through my lens and exploring sure. it through the perspective of, yep. of women. But I am, I've always been convinced, and this program made it, made it more obvious for me, that we as women are not going to have totally satisfied lives, whether it's in the bedroom, whether it's in the work, whether it's wherever it might be, mm -hmm. unless men are on side with us, right. unless they also are liberated to, to respect us as actual human beings, to enjoy us even, and not to be intimidated, and to, uh, to, to be with us in this struggle, which is a once in a, in a, in a moment struggle, which we find ourselves in yeah, right now. Yeah, well, let's get to that, because yeah. I think you, you, you taped this before, and you know, it would be remiss to say you didn't get your, you got your job because of your other job at PBS because of Me Too, although utterly. I did. You did. Yeah. So talk and about I, that. I'm not going to talk about the specifics of, of, of the individual. Right. However. His name's Charlie Rose. Okay. Okay. However, <laughs> I am going to tell you that with great pride. Yeah. As a competent woman. Right. I have taken that spot. Right. And I, or that slot for the moment. Well, I'll be honest, you should have had that slot. Well, a whole whatever. I work for CNN. Right. Thank you. But, 
but I, 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 I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they gave it to me as a woman. I'm glad. What happened? Can you talk? What, how did that occur? Well, I think you have we to, got this issue with this Charlie Rose situation. Yes. Well, it's it's the genius of my boss Jeff Zucker, so you have okay. to ask he's him about it. He's here in the audience. Yeah, he's here in the audience. All right. Yeah. All well, right. we we delivered a, a sterling product at a time when they needed it. Right. And we'll see where it goes. What did you think? What did would you when you heard about this? And about then what? Your, Charlie. What I, what did I think about the Voldemort. whole thing? We'll call him Voldemort. No, what did I think about the whole thing? He's one of many, right, right, that started at Fox News, that went on to Hollywood, that's come now into journalism and other parts of mm -hmm. our professional uh, space, cultural, artistic, wherever, right. sports. I mean, right. those female, uh, American female gymnasts. I mean, it's just a horror. Mm -hmm. It's a horror. And I tell you what I thought. I thought many different things in, in at different times. You know, I was shocked, but not shocked, but I was shocked right. at the extent of it. I myself have not had that, that level of, of sexism and misogyny and mm -hmm. harassment and abuse by no means. Mm -hmm. um, I was horrified. I mean, look, a few weeks before um, it happened um, at, at CBS and PBS, um, I, I was giving a speech at the Committee to Protect Journalism. I, Mm -hmm. was hosting that evening. Meryl was there. She was our keynote speaker, Meryl Streep. It was great on behalf of freedom of the press. And I looked out and I, and you know, obviously the Harvey Weinstein thing was in full flow. And I looked out and I said to the men in the audience, I said, we are your sisters. Mm -hmm. We are your friends. We are your colleagues. We are human beings. You have to help us. You can't keep hurting us like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So, and then a few, and you know, sitting in the audience, and then a few weeks later, this happened. But in the, but but the thing is, as I say, we cannot do this without the support of our male relatives, our male bosses, our male right. friends, our colleagues, whoever it might be. This is not women against men, men against women. This has to be the beginning of a real joining at the hip to 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 win this struggle once and for all. Yeah. And nobody needs to point out that. The more women in, the, the more equality, the more parity, right. the healthier every aspect of society is. From the GDP of a nation, even like the United States, to you know your 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 state, your your city, your community, your workplace, your home. It makes a difference. And I tell you, I mean, you might wonder yeah, why I've got this on my yes, lap. Yes, I did. I so this is GQ, the British version, and on the cover is. Um, is Naomi Campbell and uh, a grime artist called Skepta. And um, uh, I, I've got it because I wanted to read why, you know, they were on the front. Don't tell me I've lost the page. Anyway, I've lost the page. But, but I tell you why I picked it up. I picked it up and read it throughout the flight to Austin. And I was so impressed by the articles, by the editor-in-chief's article, by Skepta and Naomi's interview, by all the guys who were writing articles for guys in this magazine, because they were sympathetic. Mm -hmm. They weren't whining and crying about a backlash and snowflakes and I don't know what else. Mm -hmm. They went, yeah, mm -hmm. yes, ladies, yes, girls. Mm -hmm. This is your moment and this is the right time. And yes, there may be a little over-egging of the pie, maybe some people get mm -hmm. caught up. But for a long time, this reckoning has been coming. Right. And this has to be addressed, has to be addressed. Let me read you okay. what Skepta right. says. He's right. a, a young man, right? He's like in his 20s. He basically said, you know, 
So is there a pressure on a man to live up to a certain archetype of masculinity was the question. And he says, I watch the National Geographic channel a lot, even, with the, even without the volume on. I just love watching animals because we are animals. Sex is an urge. We want to have sex. But now people are just going to have to respect sex. Mm -hmm. That's pretty intense. Right. That's very profound. Right. From a man's point of view, a right. young man's point yeah. of view, okay? Yeah. Where masculinity is all sort of but, you know, Christian, wrapped up it, in the It's kind of low problem. bar. Please don't rape us. You know what no, I mean? No, no. This is not just about don't rape us. This right. is about everyday right. sexism. Right. right. No, seriously. Right. This is also about right. everyday yes. sexism, yes. which has also yes. been written about. Right. But that's well, the bar that, why, that many people, including myself, have had right. to deal when with. You, when you said, I was shocked but not shocked, what does that... Because you know what's going on. I mean, right. I don't know the details, but, right. you know, as I said, there's everyday sexism. Right. So you see Right, it. there's a continuum Correct. of, like, and I, look, you know, as smile, I said, don't you look pretty, to the But not just that. How many women... I mean, how often am I the only woman in the room? A lot. Yes, yeah, me too. Right? Yeah. How often am I asked... What it's like to be a woman war correspondent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I'd won that battle in 1990 at the Gulf right, War. Right. But they're still asking us. Right, right. You know. What do you answer now? I say we've won that battle. Right. But now we need to move up to the executive suite. Right. You know, right. when women are in positions of power to mm -hmm. make these mm -hmm. uh, right. decisions right. about women and men, so, it'll be different. I, I think we both have sons, right? We both yes. have two sons. You have one son. Yeah. Why is it up to women to? clean it up. That to me gets... Who said that? I, I just well, said it's, it's up to all of it's us. It's up to all of us. But yeah. the idea is when women are in power, why can't men in power do it now? What is... No, it's not that. It's when you have parity. Right. It changes the dynamic Absolutely. around the table. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Parity changes something. You know, yeah, it, it's not just a, a empty word. Equality is not an empty right. word. It changes the dynamic. It changes the flavor. Even in, in peace processes, do you remember the fantastic, well, the first two female Nobel laureates around a peace mm -hmm. accord was in Northern Ireland. It was right. two women who right. ages ago in the 70s, way before there was a peace process. But women also pushed that process. If you look between Israel and Palestine right now, the Israelis have a very strong female contingent of, of peace warriors, if you like, who have their like-minded uh, sisters right. on the Palestinian side. It's not got anywhere yet, right. but they are there pushing this agenda. If you look um, um, at Liberia, mm -hmm. years and years of warlordism and mm -hmm. dictatorship and, and dreadful stuff, it was the wonderful Lema Bowie about whom, you know, pray the devil back to hell. Has anybody seen that movie? It's fantastic. Go and see it. She, they did the, the Greek mythological thing. They withheld sex from their men mm -hmm. until there was a peace uh, a peace accord Passes. around that table, as well as many other things. Then they banded together and elected and made sure the first woman was elected president, this was eight years ago, right. um, of an African nation, and of that nation in particular. And it made a difference. Right. 100%. One of the things, I just interviewed uh, Sheryl Sandberg at an event called in San Francisco called Lesbians Who Tech, of all things. It was great. Lesbians um, Who Do What? Tech. Tech. We're going to bring you there next mm -hmm. year, Christiane, talk mm -hmm. about sex. Um, but she, she, we were talking about that idea of what happens now, about the backlash. And one of the, the things she said is it's not enough to stop the sexual harassment, which should be the lowest bar. Like, it's, that it's, par it's pay parity. Yeah, it's, well, that. It's power parity and all that. And I think what she was worried about is it stops at 
everybody just talking, stopping one thing that shouldn't be no. happening. No, I mean, one minute. of the things that I talked about on my program for PBS and for CNN International uh, this last week when it was International Women's Day was that, you know, I actually went over and talked to women, not went over, but by satellite, women in um, uh, an Egyptian-American activist mm -hmm. and also an Afghan female member of parliament. And while they're still fighting for basic rights, we here in the West, we have our rights. Mm -hmm. They are enshrined. They're just not enforced. Right. We have our rights. Like in every uh, organization has its HR policy. Just got to enforce it. Right. You know, anyway, I'll come back to that in a minute. But what we still don't have in the West is equal pay for equal play. Right. And that is another massive thing that we have to achieve. Mm -hmm. It is under no circumstances okay for a man to be paid more than a woman for doing the same job or doing a lesser job. Of course, but we, Under no circumstances. Except. No, no except. No, not except. Except it just happens. It doesn't really. Well, right, what, but we're at the moment now. What, what has we're to happen? Moment. It, well, tell us about More this women in, in the executive suite, maybe? Well, tell us about this moment, because what do you imagine happening when you, there is a pushback, there is a backlash. I, you know, but the backlash is not as hard as the, as the momentum moving forward. I don't believe it is. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't believe it is. And we've got to keep it moving forward. So what to be honest with you, we have to take our destiny in our own hands. We really do. It's like the young kids who've decided to do what they think is the right thing after the shooting in Parkland. It's like the women who decided to march. It's like, you know, what's going on now? When you see basic justice and, and, and rights under threat, it is up to us to become engaged. Right. We cannot sit back lazily and say, oh, we've won, we've done everything, everything's cool, we live in this rich society. No, the massive you know, equality gap that keeps widening in right. our societies is really unacceptable. Um, even, even the last time I was on stage and I spoke, it was actually in New York, it was a TED sort of event, mm -hmm. and it was about false news. Mm -hmm. And I said, we have to be responsible, you have to be responsible for going to the right places to get your news and information. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just blame the bots, you can't just blame the Russians all the time, although they're, you know, very, very much engaged. Um, uh, you have, we have to be responsible for what we are searching, what we're reading, what we're watching, and, and what we're, you know, what we're synthesizing in our brains. I mean, I, I guess you saw it, uh, Twitter has funded a major uh, investigation or whatever they call it at MIT, and they just came mm -hmm. out with their results. Mm -hmm. That something, something like, I, 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 I'm gonna get the actual stats probably mixed up, but it's something like 70% more false news gets repeated yes. than real news. Yeah. And the other thing they found out was that it wasn't bots, it was humans. Mm -hmm. Because human beings actually kind of maybe gravitate to something that sounds so extraordinary, right, right. and then they want to share it. Well, if it sounds so extraordinary, it probably is because it is extraordinary, but, and it's not true. But it does begin with these, I, I'll get to that, the idea of that. At the same time, whether you have to be responsible, when you're inundated by social media, when it's part of your, it, mm. Facebook being, I think, the, the biggest, um, I think it's the, I mean, Jeff talks about it a lot, that, that these people are culpable for the systems they build that create a And that's true. So and what, that's true. What, what, when you say you should be responsible, but sometimes it's confusing. It's of course loud. it is. But we, it's an, look, we're in an existential moment now. We are at peril mm -hmm. and at risk if we don't know the difference between truth and lies. Mm -hmm. Truth and lies are the only thing that separates us, separates us from democracy and dictatorship. And we have to know. 
We have to so know. So how does an average citizen do that? Because I don't know. I say read, you know, watch CNN, read the New York Times, go on Decode, Recode, mm-hmm. and just, you know, just go to places where you know mm-hmm. are, are trusted sources of fact. Fact, 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 fact. That's what I've been Except doing my whole that career. that you have such a partisan situation that it's not... Yeah, that's you a have problem. A, you have a U.S. president that's a calling problem. it... What is it? The fail in New York Times, the yeah, but, lion, but, CNN. You know, do what? we really believe it? I think a lot of people... Maybe do. they do, but, you know, we right. still have to keep up the fight. Right. We still have to keep fighting. What, we, what is the option, Cara? We're going to well, sit and just... Okay. No, no, not the option, but how do you... Uh, you know, Jeff's talk about regulating these... And he's right. <laughs> right. So tell me about that. <laughs> well, you know, there has to be a, a code of conduct. Just right. like there's a code of conduct around personal politics and sexual harassment and all the rest of it, right. there has to be a code of conduct around what... Is what gets put out on what are media platforms. Right. Let's not beat around the bush right. anymore. No, we, These are media platforms. If we're bound right. by certain rules and regulations, um, then they should be bound as well. Right. And, and you know what? What about something? I mean, I don't know. I'm really asking you now. Sure. I don't know the, the solutions. Right. But what about something like the so-called good housekeeping seal of approval? Mm-hmm. What about a whole sort of new industry cropping up? I know they've tried it in bits and bobs. They have. Yes. But a whole serious sector which can put the stamp of approval on what's real and what's not. Right. And I think that's really important. But let's not kid ourselves that fake or false news is a Trumpian development. It's not. This has been going on since time immemorial. It's true that the President of the United States has used it as a weapon to bludgeon us from the White House, the most powerful perch in the world, Mm -hmm. and has therefore maybe lowered the bar of what's acceptable in terms of treating journalists and treating fact and, um, as opposed to fiction, and has also empowered uh, and enabled the worst kinds of leaders around the world who have no respect for independent journalism or the truth, right? So that's all a problem. Okay, so now we understand that. Now we have to just keep up the good fight. And we all need to be implicated in this. We all need to be involved in this. Mm-hmm. And we can't have, and I think they are sort of starting to change. You tell me, is it enough? I, the Zuckerbergs I, and the I Googles? Don't I don't know. I, get, I cannot get them to say they're media companies. I, well, they, I, why not? They just won't. I was at a, I did an interview with it's Susan Wojcicki, who's terrific. Uh, who, but she, I said, are you a media, you are a media company. And she said, we're a tech platform which facilitates media. Well, it's just bullshit, isn't it? Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, it's just lies. Well. I do think they do think of themselves as a benign platform. And I think I'm more worried. They could be. Right. But they have to, look, when you are under attack, mm-hmm. you have to figure out how to get out of the hole and to fortify your, your you know, the, the boundaries. I don't understand why they keep saying that and why they just keep letting stuff happen to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much bad publicity can they take? Mm-hmm. You know, how much, how much uh, devastating consequences in society do they want to be blamed for? Right. You know, to me, it's a weird business model. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. You'd think that the first thing they do is... Clean it up. It, it clean it up. Right. They, aren't they the analysts? Aren't they the brilliant techie minds? Right. You know, these guys have the wherewithal to do it. Right. And they are mostly guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe there should be more women, mm-hmm. Cara. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, <laughs> welcome to my world. You think you know a lot of men. I know a lot of men. Yeah. Um, and then ended up having two sons. It's just yeah. astonishing. Um, but isn't it extraordinary that the STEM subjects are much more, uh, you know, used? I mean, it's extraordinary. The, the, the proportion of young women in colleges, universities yeah. in these majority Muslim countries right. are 
studying STEM are much higher than here in the West. Yeah, it's really quite it's incredible. It's a lot. There's lots of that's a whole other thing yeah. to go into. But w I want to finish up with this part because w one of the problems around the fake news has to do internationally. Where here it's a little noisier, and there are people have, are a little more educated about media in the Philippines. In certain countries, it gets super dangerous. Um, yeah, it does. I mean, the Philippines is not a good uh, example because you have a, a, a crazy Maybe strong man. Yeah. But if you go to France, for instance, I mean, the new it man of international politics is Emmanuel Macron. Mm -hmm. And he... He's the it man? Well, I think he is. Oh, He's yeah. really out there with a vision, with the courage mm -hmm. to campaign and to win from the center, mm -hmm. he was under assault from an extreme right, anti-Semitic, racist party called the National Front. Mm -hmm. And many, you know, many uh, op op opponents trying to win would, would sort of go towards their, mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, re rearrange their politics for the, for the moment. He did exactly the opposite and he won from the center. And not only that, he had a group of, of his, his tech group and his digital media people knew the Russian uh, threat and all the rest of it, and they had a plan. They actually had a plan, and they beat back the Russians on this. Right. And that was really smart. Right. And in Germany, they're doing the same thing. In Britain, the prime minister has, in, has introduced mm -hmm. um, you know, speeches in parliament how the government actually now does have to take a stand. This is an assault. It's a soft power, but it's an assault. Mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's a Cold War of a different type. Yeah. Not in this country, though. The month spending hasn't happened. Well, no, but it should. Well, yes, yeah. it should. It should. Yes. But how does that occur? I'm I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm not American. I don't cover American politics. <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you that it's possible. Yeah. So, how so, is... so it has to happen. There needs right. to be a really, you know, leaders like Jeff, others right. in the media who feel that our facts are right. being compromised right. by their lies and their enabling of it. All of that, I mean, there just needs to be... Uh, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. Right. And that's often been a problem in the media industry in the United States. Yeah. Not enough un unity and brain power and force of all the presidents, you know, getting together and saying, this is now what we have to do. Right. So you, you're not covering politics, but you're affected by it as the international. First yeah. of all, I cover know, international. I cover the way. What does that do? Because CNN is attacked by the president quite a, mostly. Yeah. I think yeah. you guys get the most. Yeah, we do. Um, right up there. Yeah. Um, does that affect your coverage? What do you, how do you look at that? Doesn't, I, I don't think it affects my coverage right. at all because uh, we absorb it, report it, and keep, you know, keep sticking with the substance. And I spend a lot of time talking to world leaders about how, yes, exactly. how it's changed, what is it like you know, dealing so what, with this what, kind of presence. What are your observations on what dealing, like right well, now? Well, we, I would say that I mean, it's nothing new, but a lot of people have absorbed, a lot of world leaders and governments have absorbed the Trump factor. So they've learned how to read the tweets, listen to the speeches, but watch what actually happens mm -hmm. and base their policy around what actually happens. So let's just take the latest, which was the tariffs. Mm -hmm. So from Europe, the answer was, let's wait and see. But, and this is, I'm quoting now, the head of the European uh, Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker said, you know, if the US can do stupid, we can do stupid and we're gonna have to do stupid. Oh, that's great policy. So we, I know, <laughs> but, but I thought it was great, crazy policy too. Mm -hmm. However, guess why they do it? Take the Putin invading Crimea model. You don't stand up to this stuff, and the whole field is open for more incursion, right. more attack, more this. Right. So they're saying, 
if we do nothing over the steel tariffs, if we do nothing, what's going to come down the pike at us? Right. We have to. This is my point. Right. We have to, no matter how ridiculous it sounds, stand up against these incursions, whether right. it's fake news incur incurring into our sphere, mm -hmm. whether, whatever, governments decide what the, how to react to tariffs and this and right. that. So, you know, They're new just... jeans, Harley Davidson's, peanut butter. Right. But then, two days later, you hear, well, maybe we're going to exempt our friends from these tariffs. Right. So what I'm saying is people are, are, are mostly now, you know, reacting to what the happens. presidency does rather than that what is said. What about but the, the saying is still very discombobulated. Yeah, and really, I haven't noticed. Um, the, uh, the North, I'm speaking from the other side of yeah, the pond. I don't even know what it looks like from there. What does it look like from there? You know. <laughs> what? Different. Different. And? Well, different, I need a Cara. more descriptor. Okay, I mean, look, I'm, I'm used to reporting on American leadership in the world, right? Okay. right? Whether it's military, whether it's soft power, whatever right. it might be. And now we're dealing with a, an administration that appears to say that it doesn't, is not interested in those kinds of historic American leadership models, that it's all about America first and economic nationalism and this and that. And, you know, people are concerned because if America doesn't lead, who's going to lead? China? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not Russia. China. Mm -hmm. Do we want to live in a China-led, a China prism of, of, of the world? Mm -hmm. And actually, this is, this is the most interesting thing about what happens uh, in a North Korea-United States um, dialogue, because it's, some analysts believe that this is the moment depending on what President Trump does, depending on what's on the negotiating table, that North Korea can start really driving the wedge, not just between the US and South Korea, but fulfilling China's greatest hope, which is to decrease the American presence in all aspects, particularly military, in Asia, in the Pacific. And that's something they're going to have to be very careful about, the, the United States, in these negotiations if they go ahead. I don't think there was any preparation from what I can garner, right? It's just like, hey, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, how did that go over internationally? Well, you know, it was led the news. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? They say it, then they walk it back, then they say it. Yeah, but just So saying, we're going to wait and see. But, Look, what we know, Cara, I don't know how it's going to go down, but there are plenty of... North-South Korea experts. They don't happen to inhabit the Trump administration right. because there is not a, a U.S. ambassador There's to South Korea. The, the State Department official who's in charge of, of the DMZ and all this North-South stuff and U.S. stuff, retired, gone. There, aren't the, there isn't the, um, the, 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 the structure to deal with this kind of thing right now. But there are many American officials under George W. Bush, under Bill Clinton, who have right. in the past been in these negotiations and could offer a massive amount of, of expertise and if, if the administration wants to take it. So there are people. We did, but, but we did hear a, couple, a week or so ago that if there was to be some kind of engagement, the Trump administration might go out of house to try to find a freelance North Korea expert. Right. So that is also already so, being put, put around. So Dennis Rodman then? No. <laughs> And don't even joke about this. I, I am not. I don't I want this group to joke about this. I this am is not the difference joking. between nuclear war and I agree. potential. I'm not joking. I, yeah. you, you no, it's not going to be Dennis Rodman. Uh, 
Okay. And if it is, nothing's going to happen. You know, it was Anthony Scaramucci. We were surprised by that. Yeah, like, well, who knows? Who I've met since. But here's the thing. This is the very important thing. Right. Everybody's, look, the truth is that North Korea has actually done something pretty incredible. It said that we will freeze ballistic missile testing, we'll free nuclear testing. We don't even mind, and we understand for the moment that the US and South Korea are allied militarily, that there will be military exercises and this and that, which they have always minded about. Yeah. But for this moment, they're saying we don't, we understand stand it. But the real fact is, they, while all this negotiating, bombastic stuff has been going on over the last 20 odd years, they have now pretty close to perfected what it means to be a nuclear weapons power with a delivery system, intercontin intercontinental ballistic missiles. So what are they going to give? Mm -hmm. And what is the United States going to give? That's why it's so different today mm -hmm. than when I covered it and went to North Korea in 2008. Are you surprised by him moving from the bombastic stuff to this? No, I'm not surprised because he... Who? Which one, by the way? Trump. Oh. Um, which I thought because the other one was equally bombastic, Kim right. Jong-un. Right. Which one's more bombastic? They're both equally bombastic. Yeah. Right, okay. But look, President Obama, if we're to believe what was reported told President Trump that your most difficult and important challenge will be North Korea. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that went in. Mm -hmm. um, just like George W. Bush said to President Obama, right. Iran is going to be your most yep. important challenge. Yep. And I would just say one thing. Sometimes Americans can be too cute. Mm -hmm. They believe negotiations is a zero-sum game. Right. That we have to win everything mm -hmm. and you have to lose everything. Mm -hmm. That will never work, right. especially with a, a developed North Korea, as we know right now, right. which is why the Iran nuclear deal was important. Not perfect, but important, because it involved negotiations, which meant that we had to give something in order to get something. And what we got was nuclear security for a period of years. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to accept that with North Korea, they're going to have to give something as well as take something. And for those purists mm -hmm. who insist that negotiations are a sign of weakness, nothing will happen if that, if that carries on. Wow, because this is an incredibly nuanced and complex president. Very, very, very. No. And not only that. This is not a president. Not only that. Like you that. have allies like, like Japan. I mean, the last thing between George W. Bush and Kim Jong Il, his mm -hmm. father, sort of collapsed. Well, I mean, the guy died, Kim Jong-il. Right. But before that, before that, Japan was, was being very hard-line on issues of reparations and, mm -hmm. and the kind of stuff that emerged from, from their historic war with North mm -hmm. Korea. So Japan was actually kind of a spoiler mm -hmm. in that regard at that time. So you, there's so many different angles that you have to get on board. It's not just two leaders talking to each other. It's everybody around. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, South Korea which is really an important player, mm -hmm. is potentially going to be hit by U.S. steel tariffs. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, when I spoke to the key South Korean national security advisor just around the um, Olympic Games, um, they were pleased that President Trump at least publicly supported and the administration supported the South Korean plan of trying to move forward dip diplomatically. Yeah. yeah. Are you hopeful? Because then I want to get back to sex. Yeah. Okay. I don't know yet. No? No. I'm always optimistic, though. Are you? I mean, not me. Um, all right. Uh, there was one here. Uh, do women... This is questions from Slido. Uh, do women in places you visited talk about orgasms with their daughters or each other? Um, not many of them. Mm -hmm. But, for instance, in Berlin, mm -hmm. in, this, in the, in the um, episode that I did in Berlin, 
Which, the bondage one or the other? No, it's the same, epi- well, there's an episode, it has different scenes. Okay. In one of the scenes, you had, because here you'd got a Western culture, mm-hmm. very open right. and very equal, right. that's dealing with a massive influx of refugees right. from the Muslim world, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, yep. all of that kind of stuff. And they are having to teach these men how to behave respectfully and you know, equally yep. to women, including um, sexually. Mm-hmm. And we, we sat in on a, a lesson that a young German woman was giving to these equally young Syrian men. Mm-hmm. And they literally didn't even know what the word orgasm meant. And they didn't know that women had them. Ah. So there was a lot of talk about how to recognize, respect, do all that. So, so that's that short answer. What was their reaction answer. when they found they out? Were, what? Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. They, oh, their reaction was, you got to see this, it's hilarious. Re- so she was, the, the, the teacher had, you know, sort of props and things and was showing yeah. them various things like the anatomical yeah. position of various um, features. And when, when, <laughs> when... I love you, it's a penis, right? When they were asking about um, orgasms, yeah. um, they said, well, and uh, should we practice this now too? Right. And the teacher was absolutely, no, 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 you don't go out and just go practice this. You have to have consent. So there was a right. whole nother, you know, whole nother round of questioning. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, okay. But it's really sweet, actually. A lot of it is very eye-opening. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things that I just was stunned by was this wonder, I mean, the, 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 one of the top models in Germany is an Afghan refugee. Mm-hmm. I mean, she came, yeah. you know, 10, 15 years ago. She's this beautiful woman, young 20s, I mean, really beautiful. And she took Claudia Schiffer's place as the, yeah. as the face of Germany. I mean, really amazing that this happened there. But she introduced me to, to new Afghan refugees of whom I was asking, you know, quite difficult yeah. questions right. about sex, about mm-hmm. happiness, about... Literally, the young woman, refugee, 20-odd years old, 23, pregnant with her third child, I mean, her eyes just got bigger and bigger and the <laughs> horror on her face. <laughs> and she said, nobody's ever talked to us like this before. Right. And my Afghan translator model said, I'm telling you that these conversations with certain people are flat-out dangerous mm-hmm. in that they have never, ever talked about their own personal happiness, much less right. their own sexual fulfillment. That's amazing. But their daughters mm-hmm. will grow up with a complete, here in Germany, right. with a completely different sure. personal experience. I love the whole idea of Christiana Manapur being the ambassador of orgasm around the world. Um, <laughs> all right, obviously, um, obviously the culture in America surrounding dating, sex, mate, acqu- mate acquisition, okay, is deeply messed up. Who, sh- uh, who should young Americans be emulating? Is anyone doing it right? You mean in the world? Yeah. Crikey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, emulating. Not the French, come on. No, you know, the French also have their issues. Yes, they do. How about their backlash against the Me Too? Yeah. Like, it's oh, this is head. going to, oh, mind you, it was only a small group of people led by a, a previous generation of, of famous people, fam- famous actresses. But, um, you know, the French have a massive spike. Of all the developed countries, the French have the highest rate of infidelity. Yeah, um, that's a shock. They, yeah, well. Um, and, they, shock. The, oh, and the highest rate of not thinking it's a moral issue. Right, right. Um, and then uh, they also, you know, have this, oh my goodness, you know, what is this going to do to flirting and this and that. But, you know, 
No, I don't necessarily think the French are models. I think everybody, and an amalgam of women all over. To be honest with you, I think the young women coming up now right. are models because they are absorbing, and this is why the internet is also good for them. I'm not talking about porn, okay? Because right. we didn't go into that. Everybody right. does porn. We didn't do porn. Um, but they do. Love that quote. Everybody. Next, every time you see sex on television, if you do, porn. it's about porn. Right. So we studiously turned, uh, stayed yeah, away sexting. from it. Or sexting. Or sexting, or yeah. all the other things. Uh, we did tiny little, not much. Tiny little. Anyway. Sexting, okay, good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but you know, the, these, these women in wherever, in the Arab world, in, in the Far East, in mm. Africa, and we had great experience in Africa too, in Ghana. It's incredible. From the sassy older women to the, you know, really wonderful younger women coming up, even in a city, Accra, that calls itself the most religious city in the world. I mean, every time you stumble out of a shop or your hotel or whatever it is, there's a church or a mosque or, you know, some kind of temple on the, uh, on the, on the sidewalk. But nonetheless, they're, they're still very um, active about their own personal space and their own personal Great. rights. So yeah. speaking of that, what will it take to convince mainstream Americans their personal morals are not universal? Well, I mean, America, America first. What can I tell you? <laughs> I mean, you know, America's got to get used to the fact that, you know, it's a major cultural, it's a major leader in every aspect, mm -hmm. but not every aspect is, 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 you know, emulatable. Not at all. So what will it take? To know. Don't know. Okay. All right. Because you don't live here. Um, what's the most, what's the most important? You know what it'll take? What? Okay. See, I knew you knew. <laughs> It'll take, it'll take more storytelling. All right. It'll take more stories of just ordinary things around the world, right. you know, to come into the, the space here. Right. And I think that's really important because a country as important as America mm -hmm. and as powerful, it is still the dominant country, although China is literally, as you know better than I do, in every regard, military, economic, uh, is coming up. And they're good in sex, too. No? Yes? They're learning. Okay, all right. I told you, they're learning about they're dating. Dating, you know, okay. They're learning. Um, getting there, you know, their minds are open. But, um, but you know, look, this is a, a, a massive continent. They don't need to travel. They don't really need to know about the rest of the world, except they do. Right. Because there's tons of stuff that's happening out there that's actually kind of interesting, kind of eye-opening. Um, you know, yeah, more storytelling from around story the world. Just All like right. this program. Right. This, so what's the most important thing you learned in 35 years at CNN? Um, I tell you. First of all, I'm incredibly proud. Mm -hmm. I, I, maybe for the young people, I would just say that there's real currency in starting at the bottom of the ladder with a dream, and, and as, whether you're a man or a woman, and moving up to achieve your dreams. What was your bottom? My, my, I was, uh, you know, like a desk assistant, literally the peon of the peon. Yeah, I delivered I mail. Actually, what? I delivered mail well, at the Well, there you go. I post. delivered Twinkies to my boss and indeed <laughs> some coffee sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I will tell you a secret. My first boss was a woman who pissed all over my expectations and uh -huh. dreams. It wasn't obvious. Yeah, wasn't obvious. No, she wasn't, she wasn't very... Um, most of my mentors were men. Yeah, mine too. Which was great, actually, because it, it, it was great. I, was, I now am disappointed that a woman wasn't as encouraging as I would hope. Right. And I'm very encouraging to lots and lots of young women and men. But I think what I really love is that I started at a startup, CNN was a startup in 1980. By the time I got there in 1983, it was still kind of a startup. 
you know, all the people Ted of Turner. my... Yeah, well, Ted Turner is a hero in my view. He's mm -hmm. an American hero, an American original. Mm -hmm. He uh, is revolutionary. Yes. Um, you know, cable changed the world. Cable did something. It democratized information. It democratized news, not just here in the United States, but around the world when we went international. Countries that only had state-sponsored news and information, suddenly, if you had a satellite dish or whatever you could, you could see CNN, you could see that there was other possibilities from around the world. It seems quaint right now, but this was in right. 1980 and then 90 and, uh, and et cetera. And it did actually change the world. And I love having, I love being in a place that we've all, we're always complaining about the demise of TV and the demise mm -hmm. of, look at us, look at us. This is CNN's moment. Mm -hmm. And we've had many moments, but after a trough, this is like a major, major moment. And I think people rightly look at us and know that they're going to get the facts mm -hmm. and they're going to get the news. And whether they're here in the United States or, or around the world today, this is a major, major important bit of currency. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. How do you look and at so the I think that's fantastic. Because some of it's screamy. Well, it's... some of it is. Of course it is. Right. But not everything. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay. in my view. All right. What are, uh, we have time for two more quick questions. Um, what, uh, were there any global trends you saw when it came to women in love and sex around the world? Any global trends? Yeah, I mean, I think the global trend is the young people mm -hmm. are bursting out of the confines of their culture, uh, of their context, of their religious mores. And it's, not, it's a story, and particularly young women. This, I think, is the most important thing I learned. Because, you know, anecdotally, I've picked up in many places that I've been to that over the last decade or so, women make up more than 50% of university students in, in, let's say, Iran or Saudi Arabia or wherever it is, in the places you'd least imagine. You know, this whole Me Too movement in the West is happening as it's sort of quietly been, been happening around the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Not defined by Me Too, but by education, by economic mm -hmm. empowerment, by, by pushing through, by no means is it settled, and obviously, over there, they do worse off than, than people over here, but they're, they're still pushing and pushing the boundaries. And you will see that the future in many of these countries will be built on the back of women. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a dramatic shift, a dramatic cultural shift. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it's one that, and, and so that's what I saw in the bedrooms when mm -hmm. I was doing this program. Right. Um, and in the bars, in all these other places where I went to talk to women and young men. The great thing about my son's generation, he's about to be 18, is the level, and all of you who are young people have a level of tolerance and acceptance of, of gender and of <coughs> the, the relationship between men and women yeah, yeah. than certainly my generation and previous generations had. And I think that's really, really important. Absolutely. So the final question I have, there's a lot of others here, but if you had to give Christiana Manapur, a piece of sex advice to this group. I, I don't think my, my team can handle it. No? No, I, I think I'm just not gonna, you know. One, she's gonna handle it. You know, I hadn't prepared for that question. Um, okay, know your rights, especially if you're women, and if you're men, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, respect, respect your partners, respect your, your, the girls, you know, Old-fashioned courtship <laughs> is going to come back. Christiana Monopore.
Thanks for listening to this live interview from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find all our past interviews in whatever app you use to listen to this or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode Radio podcasts. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference and Code Media. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.